0: Good morning, welcome to Apostles Houston. I'm Lee pastor, David Cumbie. I just wanna thank you for worshiping with us online. You know, today is Pentecost. It is the day that we celebrate the birth of the church and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 tells us, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Acts 2 goes on to tell us that the Holy Spirit uh, empowered the followers of Jesus to proclaim the good news of his kingdom to people from across the world. And what began that day has continued up to this very moment. Today, the Holy Spirit continues to empower us as followers of Jesus to proclaim his good news. You know, the word for spirit in Acts 2, both in the Greek and uh, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, is translated best as wind or sometimes as breath. Jesus, in John chapter 20, verse 22, he, he breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. All the way back at the beginning of scripture in Genesis chapter two, we're told that God formed the man from the dust in the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. What that's telling us is that Pentecost, God is breathing life into his church. This new humanity redeemed by Jesus, now animated by his spirit. And so every time we celebrate Pentecost, we're, we're marking this rebirth of humanity, the renewal of God's creation and the inbreaking of God's kingdom in a new and life-changing way. And today we need Jesus to breathe on us, to, to give us his spirit in a fresh way. You know, this week we reached a, a grim milestone. 100,000 people in our nation have now died from the coronavirus, this sickness that literally steals the breath from its victims. In our city, we, we walk around trying to breathe uncomfortably through masks. We socially distance ourselves in order to avoid breathing on one another. And this week, we're haunted by the desperate pleas of George Floyd, who said, Please, I can't breathe. See, evil steals our breath. That's what it seeks to do. We are, therefore, in a battle, and it's not just with coronavirus. We're actually in this battle with evil. Jesus says, in the face of such evil, we need to pray. In Luke 11, he says, when you pray, pray like this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. The gospel of Matthew adds, but deliver us from the evil one. See, Jesus knows us and he knows our world, a world tempted to reject God, a world that is under attack and enslaved by evil a world in the midst, uh, you could say, uh, of a war, a war between the kingdom of God on the one hand and the kingdom of the evil one on the other. C.S. Lewis said, in our world, there is no neutral ground. Every square inch is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And so Jesus is teaching us to pray. And here at the close of his prayer, he wants us to realize we are praying in wartime how to pray against the evil, the violence, the greed, the the injustice, the sin. That's what he wants us to understand because we have an adversary. That's what the word Satan means in the scriptures. And Jesus stands against that adversary and he calls us to stand with him. For Jesus, in other words, to pray is to fight against the darkness, to fight against the evil. And I wonder this morning, is that how you see prayer? I mean, do we see prayer as something that's urgent and powerful? As though we're entering into a spiritual battle against the evil one, against Satan himself. To pray, in other words, it's not just to hope for the best. It may include silent listening and calm contemplation, but it's not meek and it's not mild. To pray is to move in force, to move with authority in the spiritual realms. It's to pray against temptation, against the evil one. It's to take a, an approach of faith and perseverance of courage and discernment. So the question is, how do we then pray like that? How do we take up this way of prayer that's like, fighting against the evil in our world in his book how to pray pete greg outlines three keys for effectively praying against evil first know your enemy second know your authority and then third know how to fight So I just wanna unpack each one of these and I'm relying heavily on Greg's book. I just really encourage you, if you've not picked up a copy, it's such a great resource as we're learning to pray together. But the first is know your enemy, Satan. Now, as soon as I say that word, many of us feel uncomfortable to modern enlightened people, it may seem ridiculous. In other words, for us to talk about things like demons and evil spirits and the cosmic forces of light and darkness. Andrew Delbanco, a professor at Columbia University, writes this. He says, in the West, we may have jettisoned the idea of cosmic evil or transcendent evil or supernatural evil. And instead we embrace medical terms. We talk about dysfunction. We talk about pathology. We avoid moral terminology. But as the 20th century has gone on, it has gotten harder and harder, he says, to say that Holocaust and ethnic cleansing and serial killing are just the results of bad psychology and sociological adjustment. In other words, evil isn't going away. It's part of our human experience and it's part of us. And the Bible the Bible actually helps us make sense of that experience. It offers an understanding of the world and of human beings that includes both good and evil. And that view, I think challenges us to consider that we actually do have a very real and very powerful enemy, Satan. Jesus knew this enemy and he spoke of it. Uh, In fact, in the wilderness account in the gospels, he was locked in hand-to-hand combat with Satan himself. He regularly encounters demons and sets people free from their control in the gospels. He talks a lot, a lot about spiritual warfare and supernatural realities in a way, honestly, that makes us very uncomfortable. But in most parts of the world, it doesn't make people uncomfortable. It doesn't make Jesus followers and in certain cultures uncomfortable to talk about this at all. In fact, it's how they see the world. One of my first experiences with evil spirits was when uh, we spent a few years living in Tanzania in East Africa. Um, we were at a powerful prayer meeting, and I remember in the middle of the meeting, uh, the family dog in the home where we were started barking, and not just barking, but ferociously and kind of out of control, almost rabid. Now, my inclination would have been to, to hop up and give the dog a snack or take him outside, but some folks stood up and they walked over and they laid hands on the dog and they prayed specifically that whatever evil spirit had possessed the dog would depart and within a few moments, that dog was calm and laying at our feet as we continued to pray. See, in most places in the world, in fact, the idea of prayer as a way of, of doing battle uh, isn't unusual, it's a given. The idea that dark powers are active and at work to, to disrupt and destroy life, in fact, is very clear to them. But here in the West, it's, it's far from clear, but evil is no less present. In fact, evil may do its worst when it looks its best, when it looks benign or or even beautiful to us rather than kind of grotesque and disgusting. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, points out that in our culture, we often indulge um, evil by worshiping good things in our life as ultimate things, including our comfort and our careers. He, He makes a disturbing comparison that reveals this painful reality. He says, In the ancient world, evil may have been more obvious. Children would have been sacrificed to the gods. We may think we are above such atrocities, but how many of us practice child sacrifice today when we make our careers our gods? How many of us sacrifice the emotional health and well-being of our children on the altar of greed? See, in our world, evil often veils itself it veils itself in the insidious materialism of online shopping it enshrines itself in things like social media and binge watching or it turns itself into worship through the sunday temple of golf courses or brunch and i don't say these things to be harsh or judgmental i simply i simply want to challenge the idea that such things are kind of unspiritual and innocuous in our life. That in fact, these things can easily become acts of devotion to something other than God. As N.T. Wright says, when human beings worship that which is not God, they give authority to forces of destruction and malevolence. And those forces have power in our lives. Ephesians 6.12 The Apostle Paul says that our struggle, therefore, is against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's a reminder that this battle happens in the smallest decisions in our lives, but also in the biggest stages of our society. The Bible makes it clear that that there are hierarchies of spirits that, that are good and evil, and that they have influence over geographic regions and institutions and systems within our society. Stanley Hauerwas says this about evil. He says, evil is large, cosmic, organized, subtle, pervasive, and real. He says, the powers may not appear as evil or coercive. They often masquerade as freedoms that we have been graciously given or as necessities that we cannot live without. I just wanna read that again because I think in this moment, Harawas' warning is so important for us to hear. He says, the powers of evil may not appear so. They may not appear to be these coercive, corrupting things in our life. They often, in fact, masquerade as freedoms that we have graciously been given or necessities that we cannot live without. Right now, more than ever, we need to understand the enemy that we are up against so that we're not deceived and confused and divided. If our primary source for interpreting the events of our day become things like Fox News or MSNBC, Facebook or Twitter, we are opening ourselves up to evil masquerading as good and to slavery masquerading as freedom. We need to know our enemy. We need to be able to recognize our enemy. And the question is, how do we do that? We have to immerse ourselves in the scriptures and we must pray as Jesus teaches us here, deliver us from evil. So first, we have to know our enemy. And second, in this fight against evil, we have to know our authority. We may have no problem, in other words, acknowledging that there's evil in the world, but do we really understand the authority we have to actually contend with that evil? I was recently walking our 80 pound dog, Winnie. She's this big golden doodle and we were walking and kind of came around a corner. And as we did, this miniature schnauzer in, in the yard next to us came running up to the fence and just barking ferociously. And I laughed, but Winnie, I looked over and Winnie's tail was between her legs and she had lowered her head in submission. It was the most ridiculous looking thing to see this huge dog kind of cowering in the presence of this tiny schnauzer. And I think, this picture too often describes how we deal with our spiritual enemy. We pray timidly when in reality we have no reason to. And it's because we don't understand who we are in Christ. It's because we don't understand the power and the authority that God has given us as citizens of his kingdom. Ephesians 1, 20 through 21 says that God raised Jesus from the dead and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but for forever. He is in charge of it all. This is the Jesus that we follow. He is our risen King who is high and lifted up. He is the one who is in charge of everything. A few verses later, Paul makes this shocking claim in light of that reality. He says that we who are in Christ are seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. That means when we pray, we're not just pleading with God for mercy in the midst of our mess. It means that we exercise authority from above. It means that we are commissioned and imbued with his power. We operate from a place of victory, not defeat. We operate in prayer as those who are learning to rule and reign with Jesus, the King. So if Jesus then has won the victory and we have this power and we have this authority, the question is, why is there still so much evil at work in the world? The Bible teaches that we live in what's called the last days. It's this time between Jesus' victory on the cross over evil and the day when he will return and consummate that victory by vanquishing evil from the earth. In other words, evil has been defeated but it has not yet been disarmed. It's death is coming, you could say, but it's chosen to fight to the very end. And so we, uh, as followers of Jesus, are invited to continue in that fight. N.T. Wright says that we are to pray, deliver us from evil as those who have inhaled the victory of the cross and hold the line for another moment. We stand against the forces of destruction in the world. I love that, we hold the line until Jesus returns. You see, in these last days, we pray in the power and the promise of the resurrection for our world that will one day be free from all evil. Walking in this kind of authority is something I'm still learning to do. I remember the first time I prayed with this kind of authority. Um, It was a number of years ago, and I was at home by myself. Langley and the kids had gone away for the week. And I remember in that moment, I felt a spirit of of despair. I was sad and kind of lonely. And it was just this oppressive presence in our home. And finally, I said at one point, evil spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to leave this home. And I said it several more times. In fact, I I screamed it at one point at the top of my lungs because I wanted it to be clear. It wasn't something I was asking. It was something I was commanding the spirit to do. Now, I'm sure if some of my neighbors heard, they must've thought I was crazy. And honestly, I felt a little bit nuts. But I have to tell you, when I prayed that prayer, in just a few moments, the house felt completely different. I felt completely different. And a sense of peace, and freedom came over me. And it was a small victory, but that victory has strengthened my faith and still does even to this day. You see, we have authority in Jesus. And so we need to pray with confidence against our enemy. So, in this fight against our enemy, we, we need to know our enemy, we need to know our authority. And then finally, we need to know how to fight. As one pastor said, until you realize that life is war, you won't know what prayer is actually for. Jesus here is teaching us that to pray is to fight against evil. And so the question is, how do we do that? Ephesians 6 tells us that we are to put on the full armor of God so that we can fight, we can stand against the devil's schemes. We're given the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And most of these items are defensive. They protect us against our enemy. But the sword of the spirit, the word, the Bible itself is a weapon that we can use to attack our enemy in prayer. Hebrews tells us that the word of God itself is is active and living. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And the word that Paul uses for sword is gladius, which is where we get the term gladiator. It's it's the sword that was used in Jesus day for kind of close hand-to-hand combat. And so the word in other words is to be our hand-to-hand combat weapon with the enemy. So how does that work? You know, just to get real practical right now, I think all of us are facing an attack from our enemy. The enemy is leveraging our fear against us. Fear is taking a lot of different forms right now. Uh, We might be afraid of contracting COVID-19. We might be experiencing financial insecurity. We might fear that our marriage or that our business, or or even that our church is not gonna survive. Now, fear itself isn't evil. I think that's important because fear can be a good thing. Sometimes fear is what keeps us alive. Um, But the Bible tells us that fear becomes a problem when it keeps us from living in faithful obedience to God. Fear becomes a problem when it makes us Desperate because it leaves us open to the manipulation and the temptation of the enemy. And so it can make us feel frozen. Maybe you've felt that in the midst of uh, the virus. You felt frozen by your fear, or it can actually push us to act foolishly out of our fear. This is when Scripture can help us. In these moments, we need to reach for our sword, reach for the Bible to find the truth and the promises of God. Isaiah 41:10 tells us, do not fear for I am with you. Matthew 16, 18, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Paul reminds us in Philippians 4 of this great promise. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, the truth of the scripture actually cuts through our enemy's lies. This way of praying God's word is so powerful. James says that through prayer, we can actually resist the devil and he will flee from us. And so this is why spending time daily in the scriptures is so important. We discover that God knows what we need and he'll guide us to his word, the truth that we may need before we even realize we need it. This is why memorizing scripture is so powerful because when the enemy attacks, we are armed, we are prepared in that moment to refute his lies. When God speaks to us through his word, he is arming us with the truth we need for this fight. And so we take up the sword, but the apostle Paul also says that we should put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Uh, The apostle Peter says something similar when he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. In other words, as followers of Jesus, we are to have our shoes on, ready at all times to share the gospel. Pete Gregg um, in his book says that the greatest act of spiritual warfare in the world is to lead someone into a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no greater victory. It's, it's the gospel of peace. It's, it's the call that we have uh, from Revelation 12, 11, that we are to give a word of testimony because it's by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony that we overcome the enemy. With the gospel, in other words, we can walk into enemy territory and proclaim a message that brings freedom to the captives. This language of, of warfare is inherently intense and I think we need to be careful that it doesn't actually harden our hearts or distort the teachings of Jesus we we can't lose sight of the fact that the gospel is good news it's something that we we want to share and we need to pray uh, for as we pray into this battle we need to pray uh, for a message of love and grace to go out into the world John Wimber, founder of the Vineyard Movement, once said it's better to plant seeds than to pull weeds. I love that. What he meant was it's it's about how we pray and how we pray is that we wanna pray to affirm the good things of God more so than we do about the attacks of the enemy. When we pray for one another, in other words, our energy should be spent on praying for God to deliver, for God to heal, for God to bless. When we pray over our city, our nation, our world, we want to identify those places that God's kingdom is coming and pray for it to continue to push back the strongholds of the evil one. We are part of Jesus' army of saints and we do not fight as the world fights. We enter this battle with the gifts of, of truth, with the word of grace and the powerful demonstration of God's love. And so Jesus Here in the Lord's Prayer, he's calling us to know our enemy, to know our authority and to know how to fight. He calls us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Today, as we end our series on the Lord's Prayer uh, and as we come to the close of our 40 days of prayer together, I just wanna encourage us to keep it going Let's keep seeking the Lord in prayer. Let's keep asking him, teach us to pray because we were made to pray. And I absolutely believe if there ever was a time when we needed to pray, needed to be a people of prayer, it's now. God is at work in these days. Many, including myself, believe that God is stirring something new in his church, that he's bringing revival, renewal, rebirth. And perhaps today, Pentecost, is a day when he will pour out his Holy Spirit on his church in a fresh way. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, fill your church. And whatever God is doing, However God is going to move, I absolutely believe the only way we will be ready for it is if we are a people of prayer. If we're listening and seeking and trusting and contending in prayer, we're only gonna be a part of what God's doing if we pray. So again, just keep praying let's keep praying to our father in heaven who loves us let's praise him and worship him let's pray for his kingdom to come let's pray for our daily bread let's pray for forgiveness and offer forgiveness to others and let's pray and contend let's fight against the evil one who seeks to kill and destroy let's pray and become a people of prayer would you pray with me lord teach us to pray that's been our prayer from the beginning And as we come to the end of this series and this season, Lord, we just ask you continue to teach us how to pray. And would you light a fire within us, Lord, make us a people who are passionate for prayer. And we pray that your kingdom would come. Your kingdom would come on the earth. It would come in Houston. It would come in apostles. And it would come in our lives. It would come as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.